Lost World Minute, where two fans won't be talking about the Lost World one minute at a time, but today we're here to uh, have a bit of a casual chat um, about collecting, uh, collectors' expectations and the general talk at the end about uh, Star Wars. About, um, we've both sort of seen the film, Last Night's, oh, Last Jedi, sorry, <laughs> is out and uh, sort of finished its run, so if you haven't seen it yet, then... Don't listen to the second half. We'll leave the Star Wars stuff to the very end, so uh, those that aren't fans don't have to listen. You can just shut off once we finish talking about uh, some collecting stuff. But uh, I'm Brad. I'm Dave. And, um, yeah, when no regular episodes this week. We had some technical difficulties last week with Skype changing and all that sort of stuff, So, um, and we want to get some more info sort for the uh, Worker Village when we get there in the next couple of minutes, so... We just thought we'd release this little bonus show so there's at least something this week. And I suppose first up, thanks to those on social media. Um, David, we've done really well over on Instagram. Oh yeah, extremely well. We broke um, 1,000 followers the other night, and so we're looking at, I think, 1,015 as of right now. Mm -hmm. And that's really exciting. we got a ton of followers, so thanks to everybody that's out there. Thank you. Yep. And also over on the Facebook, we had a big boost over Christmas as well. Um, it's up to 670 likes as well, which is fantastic. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe maybe since the trailer came out, more people are sort of looking for that Jurassic uh, info out there. I know um, a couple of the Jurassic pages I admin or groups on Facebook I admin definitely have bumped up since the trailer started coming out. So um, the same thing happened for Jurassic World as well. Mm -hmm. Once you start getting back out there in public awareness again, people start reaching out looking for news on the franchise which is great to see and um also too on the facebook page um shout out to lorenzo who's one of our long-time listeners and regular commenters on the facebook page we posted some of the screenshots up during the week of uh jeff goldblum driving the jeep around through the redwoods and uh he sort of said wouldn't it be great if fallen kingdom used um was sort of used a score from the lost world a lot like jurassic world did for jurassic park which would be interesting. I know we had the little Jurassic theme there play at the end of um, Jurassic World, but to have sort of the whole film borrow more from the Lost World and just recycling the Jurassic Park theme again, it'd definitely be interesting and good to do. I don't know how Giacchino would go at it. Yeah, I'd, I'd really like to see some um, <clears throat> the Lost World scores back, and but I'd love um, to see what Giacchino can do with... Um, is uh, with his own thing without having to kind of use Jurassic or Jurassic Park as a background, and so I like uh, what he did with the Lost World uh, video game. I still do, mm. always did. Yep. And so it'd be great to see some of that to be incorporated into this movie. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like a shout out to the Lost World, but also a shout out to the fans in a way. You know. And it's it's one of those things too, like. Fair enough with um, Jurassic World reusing some of the Jurassic Park themes. It's a park, it's sort of that triumphant score, and so it should be um, until things go wrong, of course. But much like The Lost World, Fallen Kingdom, now that the park's destroyed, um, we can see it in ruin, it should be more of a sombre and sort of more of a... Um, well, not scary, even though the trail looks scary. Um, so just more of that abandonment score like we got in um, the Lost World, more of that Lost World feel. Mm -hmm. um, I don't I don't need to see the Brachiosaur walking in front of the Innovation Centre and get the Jurassic Park theme play, for instance. Take the Jurassic World 
theme, the main, the like it's the park is open theme, and just do what they done with Jurassic Park, just slow it down, um, add add some horns to like some, oh, it's not horns, like violins or something, just sort of make it a bit more. Oh, there's that word, scary. I suppose. Um, <laughs> Like like it's it's like it's a memory, not that it's a um, mm-hmm. here and open. Like those couple of times they did with the Jurassic Park score in the Lost World, just they played it slowly in the background, just as a little bit of an homage to yep, this place existed and was operational when Jurassic Park was getting built, but now it's it's all lost, it's um, forgotten. Yeah, something that even the people who don't like Lost World will admit is that one of the best things about that movie is where uh, John Williams took the took the score, and we're actually having the Olympics right now this week. Yep. And, of course, John Williams just turned 86 last week. Mm, happy birthday to the great man. Yep. I've, I've got a lot of soundtracks in my collection from him. He's, uh, oh, gee? Yep. Yeah, that's awesome. One of the best. Mm-hmm. The great, I'd say he was. he's the greatest modern composer, and I'm... I, I mean, he's up there with the Be- with Beethoven and Mozart in my eyes, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's he. I I feel privileged to have lived in the same lifetime as him. Yep. Yep. No, but agreed. With the Olympics uh, being on this week, most people don't realize that that the Olympic theme that we all know and love was written by John Williams. Oh, okay. It's called Bugler's Dream, or something like that. Do you know how long that's been? How long? Uh, he wrote it for the. Uh, he wrote it for the 1980s Olympics. The LA one. What? Was that Los Angeles? I can't remember the 1980 uh, Olympics, 80, Winter Olympics. 80. Oh, Winter Olympics. Okay, I think LA was 82. I think. Yeah. Around no. The, yeah, that was the one in Lake Placid, New York. Okay. Yep. I haven't checked out the opening ceremony yet. Uh I'll be on that yeah, to finish recording. Yeah, I do that after this record. Yeah. It's, and even that, it's like, um, it's not a sport you see every day. It's not football or all that. It's, it's yeah. just good seeing some of those, especially the Winter Olympics. Like here, we're in sort of um, nowhere near, oh, we're near the snow, but apart from skiing, you don't see luge, you don't see bobsled, you don't see any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, in your everyday life, and even on TV, you only see it when the Olympics come around. So it's it's good to see, and that's like, like the Winter Olympics a lot more because of that. Um, where the Summer Olympics, okay, you can see swimming, or mm-hmm. you can go and swim and do that stuff yourself. You don't need to see finely tuned athletes making you look <laughs> slow and unhealthy. <laughs> the uh, Australia doesn't follow suit with Jamaica and a bobsled team. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got a few people over there at the moment doing um, like uh, downhill moguls and yeah, that skiing, sort of stuff. Right? Yeah, the skiing, like that yeah. sort of stuff's easy. Um, yeah. Bobsled, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love the movie, but I don't know if we've got if it inspired anyone here to uh, make a buggy and <laughs> try and try and get to the Olympics for bobsled. <laughs> well, I'm sure I'm sure there probably is a team, and that's that might be more of a issue with um, publicising what our team's actually there competing in than me not looking into it. But Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah, massive thank you to uh, all our listeners and that and uh, supporters on social media. We're over a thousand likes. I wish that <laughs> reflected on listeners. Like, we're, we're, oh, we're doing about 60 or 70 listeners on average, so 
we have a few listeners there. A few iTunes reviews would be fantastic too, but we might have to coax people out to do that. I might have to have another giveaway for reviews. <laughs> um, but if you have left reviews on iTunes for us in... Uh, well, outside of Australia, really, on any of the iTunes stores, just screen cap and send it to us because um, I can't see any uh, any of the other iTunes stores, unfortunately. They should really fix that. Go in and document. What do you mean, like with people? My God, they are well organized. Those are some major league toys. I suppose going into our first little thing to talk about tonight, uh, last week we were sort of talking about... Um, Chronicle Collectibles, and they just announced that uh, Sick Triceratops small uh, display piece and the uh, Marquette of the Pachycephalosaurus, which we both, especially the Pachy, we both agreed looked pretty pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Since Triceratops, unfortunately, not so much. Yeah, yeah. Since then, I went ahead and ordered the, uh, the Pachy. Well, yes, I would prefer it to be sort of head down, leg up, about to run or charge or something like that in a pose. Just having that Stan Winston maquette in my hands, I think it's going to be fantastic. If it is, just sitting there um, looking forward. But also the uh, the one fifth female Jurassic uh, yeah Jurassic Park T Rex head. I'm not going to say bust because that would imply that there's more chest and arms. But uh, yeah, the head for the Tyrannosaur I've pre-ordered as well. And um, just today which would be Friday for those listening. Uh, they also released their one-to-one mail bust, which we've been talking about as well last week, which I, I, I watched a couple of videos of the female bust overnight on YouTube and uh, just for shape and sculpt-wise, and then sort of have a, had a good look at some of the photos. And I think uh, it's definitely a benefit to have a look at some of those photos on a big screen computer screen, not on your phone, because... <laughs> A lot, oh, yeah. of, a lot of that detail doesn't come forward. Mm-hmm. Also, just sort of looking, just doing a general Google search for male raptors from Lost World and just looking at the designs across uh, Trespass, uh, the PlayStation 1 game, no, PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2. No, it was 1, PlayStation 1 game. Yeah, um, I think it was 1, but more than. Yeah, yeah. Um, and some of the other games as well, actual the animatronics, and you can sort of see there's, there's slight variations between them all, but they all seem to have that. They've all got that same sort of tiger stripe design, and and this this um, bust or heads got that sort of. It, it does a good enough job of it, um, and especially sort of trying to find that female head now. Um, everywhere I found it is sold out, except for one local store here, which has already paid import tax and all that, and it's about four hundred dollars more than what um, it would be at retail over getting it from Chronicle, so I wasn't going to lay $2,000 on that, but I've... Uh, Chronicle have got the uh, the mail at 999 at the moment for the first 30 days, if it even gets to that end of the 30 days before it's sold out, because I think there's only 300 of them being made, so... Oh, really? I didn't know about that. Yeah, I, I think. Oh, no, sorry, it was a, it was a female... Because the guy from Chronicle was saying there was only 400 being made, so order them now. So I just assumed it would be the same for the mail. I do think that the mail is supposed to be limited, though. Same with the trike, because they are um, Jurassic Park 25, 25th anniversary uh, exclusive yeah. for Chronicle. Yeah, and I think the, uh, the rumoured Tyrannosaur and Rotunda set is going to be the same, isn't it? 
where you'd think it being mm, a, a, think so, yeah. a set Jurassic piece, it would be for the 25th anniversary, which we probably should see photos of soon as well. Yeah, probably. Um, so, yeah, I've <laughs> I've been splurging a little bit. I'll <laughs> worry about shipping for them <laughs> in 10 months' time. That's going to be probably half mm. the price again, <laughs> especially to Australia, especially when they're 70 pounds or 75 pounds or something. So a lot of weight there, but um, I, I really wanted to... I was going to... Being, oh, since I was going to pass on the mail Raptor Bust, I was going to throw a compie into that first free order as well, but I'm just hoping the compie stays there for another month or two, um, mm. and I'll I'll add that as well, <laughs> and then and then get my display room finished so I can put them all somewhere, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, I was having some uh, discussion with some fans about the compie, about the eye in particular, is that uh, when you look at the portal... The eye really uh, has like this really strong red ring around it. Yeah, and the itself is kind of red as well. Yeah. But that seems to be something that they did that they did away with in the um, not did away with completely, but lightened up on when they did the um, what was it the final product for the final version. Mm-hmm. And another thing they 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 did with the final version is that they 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 took more of a semi gloss rather than a full gloss. Uh, finish and I think it looks a lot better without that full gloss because I mean it was just too glossy you just couldn't make out the paint job that well and I think the finished copy actually looks better than the prototype yeah and that's that's one thing I definitely noticed last night when I was looking at the raptor bus between the male and female um with the fem- with the female it sort of had that glaze on it that sort of just takes the skin away from looking like skin or latex and makes it just look more plasticky, if I could say that. Mm. Um, and I noticed that with the Compi too, just sort of, they've got the nice vibrant colours there and then they've got the clear coat over that just sort of takes mm-hmm. away that look of skin. Like if you had you had several Compis standing on a hill and the sun mm-hmm. went down, they'd be all reflecting the sun. <laughs> yeah. But, but, then, but again, that's the process too and sort of getting into our last little bit here about, um, on topic anyway, um, do collectors ask too much of companies? It's sort of, they're doing they're doing the best they can for the price. Um, these aren't going to be the exact to the film you stuff because you'd be paying thousands for that and it only last six months like we know. Latex and that doesn't last long at all for the films. Stuff's made for the films and then it deteriorates pretty fast after that. Uh-huh. Now, I'm going to disagree with that, and I'm going to say that for the price that you were paying for these, I would want them to be a little bit better. Yeah. And some, and Chronicle has seemed to be very hit and miss with me. Some of the hits have included the Pachycephalosaurus maquette, the Compi maquette, the um, female raptor bust, the uh, female T-Rex bust. But then some of the misses for me are would include the bull T-Rex, Breakout T-Rex, the Stegosaurus, actually. Yep. Um, the Triceratops, definitely. And also, uh, there's one more. I can't remember what it was now. The Indominus? No, no. Actually, I like that one. Yep. Oh, I'm just trying to name off other stuff. They've... Oh. <laughs> well, it'd be the Bronze the bronze Rex would go with the uh, Breakout, cause being the same sculpt. Yeah, but I mean, I kind of like the full bronze paint job on it. Actually, I think it kind of looks not nicer than the. Um, oh, and I remember the um, miniature breakout Rex. His 
Oh, yeah. I saw the photo picture. It's orange. I mean, like, straight tiger-striped orange and black. I did notice I that did photo that. someone posted the other day. It looked very much like the male raptors. <laughs> I know. And so, I mean, the rumor is that it's going to be between $60 and $150. And if it's $60, I can completely let that go. I'd, I'd even buy it and just repaint it myself for that price. Yep. But, I mean, there are people out there who will do a better paint job for less money. The um, I remember if we talked about Father Phantom Studios on here before. I don't recall, no. Father Phantom Studios is a... Um, they do prop replicas, mm-hmm. but they're also... They're a um, prop house out of England, owned by Ben Felice. They do a fantastic job. They're well-known in the horror community for their... But for their home handmade busts and their uh, Halloween Michael Myers mask replicas. Yep. And they came out with a um, with a t- with a, a full size T Rex bust, same sculpt as Chronicles that Chronicle got, and Fire uh, Phantom Studios got a hold of their own copy, and they cleaned it up, they cleaned up the sculpt, they recasted it, and. Then they started selling uh, copies of the bust fully painted. And some of these were absolutely beautiful. Actually, no, all of them. They were all beautiful, well-done paint jobs. And they were they far surpassed Chronicles. I'll post up a comparison picture that I did of um, between Chronicles and Father Phantom Studios. And I think Father Phantom Studios actually did a better job, not just on the paint, but also on the execution of it as a bust in general. Okay, Father yeah. Phantom, Father Phantom um, did a similar thing that Chronicle did with the uh, with the uh, plaque being dress, the dress park logo shaped. Mm-hmm. But then Chronicle added in fake ferns around the bottom, and I think that was better. That was better executed. Yep. Yep. A better execution of it. And that's, yeah, I'm looking here. I found this on eBay a little while ago. Someone's got a one-to-one uh, Velociraptor bust that's um, cast from a Stan Winston mold as well. It's a resin bust with uh, foam <laughs> filled. And it's it looks fantastic. It looks more like the Lost World sculpt and not the Jurassic Park sculpt because they there seems to be a little bit of a difference between the animal heads in Jurassic Park between the animatronic and the CG, I noticed. Mm-hmm. Um, even looking at that female bust from Chronicle, it's got more of a beak, like the front, the top lip sort of points out more than what the Jurassic Park raptors do. It's, yeah. sort of, it's more of that Deinonychus head compared to what we see later with the raptors in The Lost World mainly, um, mm-hmm. where it's just sort of got that the lip sort of protrude forward a lot more of the nose. But this thing's not painted, it comes in four pieces, and it sort of it includes the neck all the way down to where the front of the shoulder would be so it's a fairly decent sized bust um mm-hmm. and it's it's 655 now bite now on ebay and it's just completely ready to go to be painted mm-hmm. where for 300 or 400 to get someone to paint it up then you've got it done exactly as you want it and you're still paying the same as what the chronicle one is so what was chronicle's price on the t-rex bust again uh it was 750 and the bold t-rex uh, that Father phantom did was I want to say 300 British pound, which would translate roughly into around 450. Yep. So it was 200 dollars less for a better paint job and a better execution. And um, unfortunately, they had to discontinue because Chronicle threatened them with a lawsuit because they were yeah. selling it unlicensed. Yeah. 
But, I mean, for a short while there, Chronicle was being very well outdone by the indie market. Mm. And that's just the shame, like, them being, uh, well, not mass-produced, but making the, f- the stuff in large quantities. I think they said with the female, they'll checking, or they'll shipping in lots of 15, so they'll checking 15 at a time as they come off the production line, just because they're all mm-hmm. being made in, in China, or wherever the factories yeah. in Asia. And it's and, I mean, take the Breakout Rex, for example. If I'm paying that much for a nice statue, I don't want it painted in some Chinese sweatshop. Well, that's you know? that's the other thing with the Breakout. Like, it was... I think it was $100 more for that than what the the head... The one-fifth bust for the female Rex was. Like, it was a lot more money. And as you said, they, we, like, we didn't really comment a lot about it at the time, but there were some big differences coming out in production stuff and even the what was getting released between the Asian factory and whatever, like there was some getting made in America as well, being distributed. The the ones coming to American sellers were uh, going to be, were coming out of American factories, but the international market were coming out of China. Yeah. And they just couldn't check those. They just couldn't, they had no way. They were producing them too quickly to efficiently check each one individually for paint. Mm, and and yeah, I think yeah. that just kind of screws your inter- international market. I mean, I will say, I don't, I wouldn't, if I was, if I wasn't living in the United States, I probably wouldn't be buying anything that was made by Chronicle, just because, I mean, I wouldn't want to have to shell out that much money for, I mean, what you say, it was going to be like 2500 for the, um, for the male Raptor, uh, full price? Uh... Oh, I don't know. The the females at a store here for twenty one hundred, that's that's converted to our money, of course. But um, yeah. I think, shipping. Yeah. Yeah. See, I think um, well, I paid the nine hundred ninety nine for it US, which is about thirteen hundred Australian. I'm guessing it's going to be about two hundred dollars to ship to play it safe. Sure. So. That's still a lot of money. Oh yeah. Yep. And I wouldn't want an inferior product for fifteen hundred dollars. I bought a car. You can buy a car for that. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, no, it costs that much. Well, not even that. You could even if you're eBay shopping, you could go on and buy a good chunk of the Jurassic Park toy line for your d- collection to put into display. Um, mm-hmm. And I've I've had this sort of discussion too in the Transformers community about spending five or six hundred dollars on one figure. Um, when you can buy a line that come out for one of the cartoons in the 90s, you could buy the entire line for that and have that in your collection instead of one figure. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get box stuff, of course, but... Um, yeah, it's just that's the thing. You're, you're paying that sort of price. That's why we sort of had a bit of a grumble about the male bust when it first was shown, about how much money it's going to cost to buy, and you want it to be perfect, but... I've sort of I've sort of come back down from that now, and so well, as long as they're sort of keeping on top of their QC, then mm-hmm. hopefully, if if for some reason, well, it's going to come last. If the T Rex and the Packy get here and they're not up to standard, then I'll be I'll probably be cancelled on the the, ma- the yeah the mail. But um, see, I got my my breakout Rex is still in America. I've got to get that shipped. It's in the hands of a reviewer over there still, but. Um, mm. He sent me a, a photo of it because it came out of California. It sort of didn't look as bad as what the uh, Asian ones were, but 
it was still one one thing with that mould was sort of the length of the head. <laughs> like it had a bit of a turtle neck on it, being so long. But um, it's something I want to ha- I want I will get here and get into my display and and still love. But mm-hmm. and it was the sort of same looking at the Ironhead stuff we've seen at the Brazil Expo as well. Just the price that's going to be paid for that now, apparently from all accounts at T-Rex and the Explorers and the set is fantastic, so it probably warrants the cost or the price a little bit more, which is the same. It's going to be up over $1,000 for different pieces of it. Yeah, I mean, I am just I just think that things can be done cheaper for better. And, I mean, my collection is proof of that. I have a beautiful The Lost, uh, the Lost World male T-Rex maquette that mm. cost me 225 shipped from an artist and it's just beautiful. I mean, I smile every time I see it. Yeah. I'm exuberantly happy. I'm with, happy with it. Yeah, and that's I. I sort of said it not publicly, but to amongst some uh, chat groups and that when the breakout came out, was having all the problems. Like, how how great would it be if Chronicle not only released their finished product, but just released the mold, basic mold as well, for customizers and that, but. One, they wouldn't do that because it's still their product going out and they wouldn't want other people adding colour to it, but it'd bring the price down a hell of a lot too. Mm-hmm. And that way you can paint like that, um, or maybe not say the breakout, but the, the female Rex bust, you could sort of repaint that in the Lost World if you wanted to, because I'm pretty sure that's all they did. I don't think it's got the scars on the nose or anything like that. When they changed it over, and the male raptor is the same, there's some slight altering, but for the most part it's the female raptor just repainted into the red one, so... It's a shame sometimes, but then you don't uh, you don't get the stuff, and a little bit of time down the down the road you uh, you want to get, it and it's just too hard to find. Mhm. Yeah, that's another thing that spurred me to get the Compsagnathus in the first place. One, I very much like the production copy that we got, and two, how many chances are am I going to get to own a life size dinosaur? Exactly. And let alone a life size Jurassic Park dinosaur. And one of my favorite dinosaurs. And but third, what are these things going to sell on the aftermarket? Mm. And that's another thing to consider is that these are going to be very expensive on the aftermarket. And I wanted to get in while I could. Yeah. Well, that's it. They've said they're only making where it's a limited run or a certain run. They've said that once that run's done, that's it now. I don't know what would happen five, ten years down the track when there's no more Jurassic Park films and they've got to go back and start mining what they've already done. I don't... That's that's for another discussion, but um, mm-hmm. they've said this is it. This is the only ones we're making, and they've got licenses for other films. So they'll probably just move on to other films and start doing that. And um, Jurassic will have its stuff, and that'll be it. But you got to sort of act here and now while this stuff's available at retail, because it very rarely does the price go down. Even that Hot Toys um, Tyrannosaurus Rex that came out a long time ago after the Raptor attack from the end of Jurassic Park. It, it its price never changed when Chronicle announced they were doing animals like the even with the breakout Rex and that like none of that sort of stuff brought down the price of that figure even though the colours a bit off and the sculpts a bit off but that's still that still collects over a thousand dollars for it. Mm-hmm. Even then, uh, you're talking about the sideshow collectibles one, yeah, right? Yeah, sorry, yeah, sorry. I, I, uh, I always I always get hot toys and sideshow confused. They're too intertwined with each other. <laughs> yeah, but um. I mean, it's still a pretty collectible piece. I always admired it when I was, even when I when it first came out. I was too young to have purchased it. I think I was only like 
um, 15 or 16 at the time when it came out. Yeah. And so I didn't have a credit card or anything at that time. But if I did, you know, I would have purchased it. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it's still easily recognizable, recognizably Jurassic Park. You can still see that's Jurassic Park T-Rex, that's a Jurassic Park Velociraptor, that's a Jurassic Park scene, mm. you know? Yeah, I mean, it's recognizably Jurassic Park, even if it's not perfect to the movie. And so I think that's a lot of the appeal as well, is that it was a... Uh, it's very collectible. It, even though it doesn't look... Even though it's not perfect, it was still, like, the only few Jurassic Park items that we ever had back in the day, along with the icons, Jurassic Park Raptor Claw and Jurassic Park Raptor Egg. Mm. Yeah, it's more it's more Jurassic-looking than what some of the other, like the Papo and some of the other third-party dinosaur makers are doing. Papo makes toys, and they're not supposed to be recognizably... I mean, they're supposed to... You can they're recognizable as Jurassic Park, but they're not unlicensed, so they're kind of in that legal gray area mm. of everybody copies it, but is it still right to do it, you know? Well, that yeah, I've seen some spinosaurs that look painted up pretty much like the Jurassic Park free one. Um, mm-hmm. and that's well, no one's doing a spinosaur, so that's if there isn't anything official being done then I don't mind the third party stuff doing that because most of the time they uh don't have to sort of they don't come under the same restrictions for sale. Pointy edges, pointy tails, all that sort of stuff. But then again, as you said, they're sort of toys not meant to be collector's pieces. Collectors mm-hmm. just get them and customise them because they're cheap and easy to do. Yeah. And they sort of have that recognisable sculpt to where, even though it's not a perfect sculpt, it's so recognisable to the point that if you did a repaint, you'd know what it was supposed to be. Yeah. Yep. I've even seen... Um, like a diorama done with Papa Velociraptors. And it was the raptors in the kitchen, and the guy just chopped up the toy and, re, and repositioned them, and you could... It it looked really good. It looked really well done. Yep. I'll see if I can find it and possibly post it up, because mm-hmm. it was really well done. Yeah. Well, and we, we sort of talked about it during the, um, during the listener special as well. I think... Uh... I think the winner, Michael, um, he brought it up about whether or not Crash McCurry's art was copyright post-Jurassic Park, where all this sort of stuff... Nowadays, if you see a dinosaur, it's sort of... It's a Jurassic dinosaur. They've just used the design and done their own thing with it. Mm-hmm. And that's... I found it. So, yeah, I'll post that up when I get a chance. Yeah. But, yeah, like, you, you walk in the toy aisle, and there's a toy line over here called Back to Jurassic or something... And it's sort of like G.I. Joe meets dinosaurs. Um, there's there's Humvees, there's helicopters, there's sort of orange and blue T-Rexes and that, and they're, they're obviously the Jurassic design. They've mm-hmm. just sort of thrown the weird colours on to try and get away from licensing. And I've been looking at a couple because the, the Humvees sort of scale really well with uh, with the big red Rex and the, the Lost World Rex, and I wouldn't mind getting one just to put some engine logos on. <laughs> but they, mm-hmm. don't, they don't have that twin cab... Um, Humvee that you can put the cage on the back. They've only got single cab with the tarps on the back or sort of gun gun uh, setup ones. But but there's there's stuff like that too where you can get and customise and it it look it fit quite well in with your Jurassic Park line or collection. Especially stuff like I don't I don't see Chronicle ever touching Jurassic Park three. So if you ever want a Spinosaur or Raptors mm-hmm. coloured that as they are in that film, then 
Um, going for those third party designs is the only way you're going to get them. Yeah, which honestly I think would be a shame just because Jurassic Park 3 is, I think, having like a resurgence within the fandom only because, I mean, it's starting to become that kind of underappreciated cult classic of the fandom. Whereas as the Lost World moves away from being cult classic to finally getting the its due appreciation, I think that the Lost World, I mean, not the Lost World, um, Jurassic Park 3 is kind of having this resurgence where it's like the Phantom Menace does, mm-hmm. where fans like it, but it's still a point of contention. I think also, too, as you sort of get new content coming out, being... Where 15, 16 years ago when Jurassic Park 3 came out, people that sort of the kids and younger audiences that seen that are now old enough to be coming into the communities and into the fandom. Where mm-hmm. and it's it's like that with any film. Like yes, a film might be better better made or better production than another film, but if you've seen that thing in the cinemas, or if it was your first entry into a franchise, and nine times out of ten that's going to be your favourite in that franchise, even though you know it's not the better film. Like, even with Star Wars, the amount of people that sort of rate Return of the Jedi over Empire, like, for, yeah, Empire's probably the, the better-made film in the franchise before the new ones, but um, if you've got people that's seen Jedi first and sort of laughed at the Ewoks and all that, then that's going to be their favourite. Um, like, personally, I prefer Temple of Doom from Indiana Jones, because that's the one I've seen, and... That was the one we had on VHS that got played all the time. <laughs> it's, it's a darker one, and yes, there's some stupid stuff, and even now, being older and sort of looking back on it, then yes, there's a lot of racism and <laughs> sort of stuff in it as well, but or racist sort of tones, but that's the one I've seen. That's the one I had the most um, sort of, not influence, but the most um, contact with and seen the most, so that's obviously going to be my favourite. And just fans coming in the community now that grew up with Jurassic Park 3 and never seen the original two, or the first two. Um, mm-hmm. And it's sort of... Yeah, it's not it's not right. They're not right or wrong. If that's their favourite, then that's their favourite. And just the constant <laughs> the constant bagging of a particular film because it's not someone's personal favourite. They're uh, just trying to make others like what they like and it's not, not really fair. Because this, this week I nearly walked away from the fandom altogether, especially oh, Jurassic, Jurassic Park. <laughs> um, really? Like, yeah, like doing this podcast was still keeping me sane, just especially admitting a large group like Jurassic Park, the group, um, just seeing the mm-hmm. constant enjoyment for uh, Fallen Kingdom. Even like I, I still don't enjoy Jurassic World. It had some parts in there, and I haven't been overly excited for a lot of stuff I've seen officially and un- unofficially for Fallen Kingdom. Um, there, there's going to be parts I like, but just the general franchise, I'm not sort of happy with where the second trilogy is going, and that's and that's fine. But I was just sort of getting down with seeing all the all the all the positivity about it, just general um, general positivity for it. Like, yeah, and I like that's that's fine. I don't need to, I just don't need to sort of be involved with the new stuff because people can like what they like, and that's fine. Now, for me, I mean, Jurassic World, there are parts I will never be happy with. Uh, the raptor training I'll never be happy with. The pet, the cutesy names I'll never be happy with. The Irex talking to the raptors I'll absolutely hate to the end of time. But Jurassic World, I 
it's not my favorite of the franchise. In fact, I think I even like three better than Jurassic World. Mm-hmm. But but Fallen Kingdom, I am very excited for. I think it looks like it's taking everything in the right direction. I think it looks like it's actually returning to the franchise's more horrific roots. Because mm. the books were very much sci-fi horror in the same vein that the Alien movie, the first Alien movie was. Yeah. And so I th- I think that Bayona having a background in horror makes uh will make this for a better enjoyment for the more for the fans who are uh, have like a more older perspective I guess would be say fans like me and you who are who are older who aren't like the teenagers coming into the, just coming into the franchise we grew up with Jurassic Park we knew we remember when the Raptors were these horrific monsters that kind of just smash their face into a jeep in order to get get to the morsel inside of it. <laughs> yeah. But then it's conflicting too. Like, we had Grant in the first film telling Lex they're not monsters, they're just animals. And we sort of... I know a lot of... Um, a lot of dislike with Jurassic Park 3 is the fact that the Spinosaur just chases, chases, chases and doesn't really act like mm-hmm. a carnival, really. But, yeah, and that's just sort of one of those things and... It's just funny sort of looking at where uh, Fallen Kingdom's going and sort of the more the more stuff comes out, the more I just got to sort of backflip and say, like, originally I was saying, well, just because it's doing this thing doesn't mean it's the Lost World. Um, but the con- constant comparison to the Lost World sort of is becoming clearer now just for the main fact that it looks like the first half's going to be on the island and second half... We're taking animals off the island. We're going to be back in the mainland, like it's San Diego all over again. And that was a lot of a lot of fans didn't like the San Diego stuff. We're going to talk about when we get there in upcoming minutes. Like it needed to happen, and now we're going to do exactly the same thing. And everyone's excited for it where before they weren't. So, I suppose execution's one of those big things. How they're going to do it, what's going to happen, the whole auction sequence, and that that we're going to see when we get there. So, I don't know. I mean, I just think that. Um, Jurassic World or Fallen Kingdom is going to, is it's hitting all the right buttons with me because the Raptors were always these were always these dinosaurs that kind of walked the line between monster and animal. Sure, mm. the T Rex was always was just hungry or just kind of investigative or curious. Sure, the uh, and I never liked the Spinosaurus for kind of um, acting that kind of like monster role. Yeah. Because that was always the role that I attributed to the raptors. The raptors were the only dinosaurs that got to act like they were these kind of monsters in a way. Because they were the, to me, they were the only dinosaurs that did act like monsters. Everything else acted like an animal. Mm. Well, that's why I always get, I always get angry when I see the T Rex get lumped in with the monsters. Like you will see a book of like Hollywood monsters and the Jurassic Park T Rex will appear. Yeah. That's not it. I think the, the only really monster in the movie is the raptors. Yeah, which which is just funny because, like the, the way the Spinosaur acts, the raptor squad, all, all a lot of that stuff that um, fans sort of grumble about is stuff that Spielberg has said. Well, after Spielberg stepped away as director, still being there as executive producer and sort of looking after the franchise, are all plot points or key points he wants to see in the next film. Like, the Spinosaur coming in and taking out the Rex was Spielberg's idea. He told Joe Johnson, we need a bigger bad. It's got to come in. We need someone to kill the T-Rex. It's sort of... Joe Johnson's cops a lot of sort of hate 
in the fran- in the fandom because of Jurassic Park Three, when a lot of stuff happened, and if we get to that film, we get to that film. A lot of stuff happened behind the scenes there that wasn't so much his fault. Like Star Wars fans wouldn't have Bulba Fett if it wasn't for him. He's, he he came up with Bulba Fett, like small things like that. And the the Raptor Squad was Spielberg. He wanted he wanted to train Raptors and he wanted the Jorasses. That was his idea too. So, and I, I just don't want to be that fanboy that starts going around to posts and that and just being that troll. So that's why I just thought, nah, that's fine. People can think what they want. We're still going to report on the news here and talk about stuff. I'm not going to stop that and be a Debbie Downer about anything. I, we're only really going to see one more main trailer anyway, or maybe some more TV spots before the film comes out anyway. I, it's all going to be yeah, merchandise between now and then anyway. I think at this point it's going to be all merchandising and probably mostly um, mostly TV spots if they follow the model that they did for Jurassic World. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. So we got that to look forward to anyway. Anything else you want to talk about uh, with that? No, I think we're good on that subject. You signed a non-disclosure agreement before you went to the island that expressly forbade you from discussing anything you saw. I'm in shock about all this. Alright, um, we're going to briefly dip our toe into some of the Star Wars stuff now. So if you're not a Star Wars uh, fan or don't want to hear us talking about The Last Jedi or what's come before, then uh, feel free to turn off now. But I suppose when we started the podcast in that introduction, we uh, I think we sort of talked about our position in the Star Wars franchise. Um, Dave, how much of a fan... If, I only learnt recently you're a lot younger than I thought you were, so much like the uh, Jurassic Park 3 before with fans growing up, were you you would have been old enough to see the uh, prequels in cinema? I was, yeah. When they come out, you, see, first, you, definitely, you definitely didn't see the originals like I did in cinemas. No, no, no. <laughs> um, my first introduction to Star Wars was when I was about probably two or three. There's actually a picture of the first time I ever saw Star Wars. I'm sitting there playing with the toy trains, and um, USA's network was playing Empire Strikes Back in the background. And, I, I mean, that, that was just the captivation for me right there. That's my first memory of Star Wars, is Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. For me, I grew up, on, I grew up, I can remember a time before the original trilogy, or before the prequel trilogy, but I grew up with the, the prequel trilogy. So it's kind of this kind of odd placement for me i'm not a i'm not an ot generation fan but i can't quite place myself in the prequel trilogy generation either just because i can remember a time before it yeah i can remember i was in um i was in second grade when uh when the phantom menace came out and i just remembered i didn't care much for it i remember being one of those fans who was disappointed with The Phantom Menace. And it's just this weird thing. I was old enough to have a disappointment with a movie about a movie that I had only just recently, in the past couple of years, uh, kind of immersed myself into. Mm-hmm. And so I remember being this kid and not liking The Phantom Menace because I felt it was too kid-focused. Now, interestingly enough, as a kid, when Attack of the Clones came out, I thought that was the best damn Star Wars movie I'd ever seen. I loved it. Yeah. I bought all, I bought a bunch of toys. <laughs> I was Anakin Skywalker for uh, 
Halloween. I mean, well, that it was the Star Wars movie that defined my childhood. Yeah, was Attack of the Clones, which incidentally now is actually my least favorite Star Wars movie. <laughs> And then uh, I was yeah. twelve by the I was twelve by the time Revenge of the Sith came out. And I remember sitting there in the theater, being old enough to understand the the emotional turmoil going in going on in the movie, and actually shedding a tear a bit when um, Anakin Skywalker gets enclosed in the Darth Vader suit and effectively seals his fate for the for the rest of his life. Mm. And that's yeah, I. I... I just remember high school and having or seeing the battles between Star Wars and Star Trek <laughs> at the time, nerds. Um, <laughs> just whatever's better, quoting, doing the Vulcan, like hand signal, all that sort of stuff, and just not not being a part of it. And then like, when the uh, special editions were coming out, I got them on DVD at the, or shortly after they'd come out box set on DVD and sort of never seen... Um, it was only... Uh, Revenge of the Sith that I actually went to see just because the trailer sort of looked good and I was probably bored that day but it was the first one I've seen in in cinemas and I prefer CG over practical for the most part unless it's, if it's done right like it's one thing I can't stand with the original trilogy is just some of the some of the practical stuff especially if you sort of because <laughs> cause I've, got, I've got I've got the VHS tapes of the originals before they were altered so <laughs> Sort of. That's what uh, my experience was with him until I got the the new. Once Lucas went back and changed out all the guns for walkie-talkies <laughs> and all that sort of stuff that happened. But um, or added Banford poo everywhere. What have they done doing? But and that that sort of goes back to sort of, sort of superhero stuff. Like I I can't watch the Christopher Superman's. My the first Superman I really liked was the um, Superman Returns, which everyone hates. So that just again goes to show what my tastes are and how I probably shouldn't comment on these things but um <laughs> <laughs> but then so Superman Returns is actually my favourite Superman movie yeah. too like I I, <laughs> I, I they're just so cheesy yeah when that when he catches that play in that baseball stadium I still tear up a little bit <laughs> like it's just that scene so I just love that scene it's one of my favourite scenes in film history and actually also like the one where um, he lands on that kryptonite island and the Superman theme is playing darkly in the background yeah again another fantastic use of that score um, mm-hmm. which yeah. was really disappointing not to see return in Man of Steel yeah yep and that's the like, that's John Williams uh, Superman score everybody knows that they play that, I mean, that's his theme. They play that, and even when Superman is mentioned in non-Superman movies, they play that theme. <laughs> even Deadpool. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's, I think we, I, I commented on this a few months ago when Justice League came out. Um, Denny Elfman came out after Justice League when he was asked about the, the score because he reused a lot of the 98 or 89 Batman themes mm-hmm. and the Superman theme as well. Um, yeah, he did for that for that movie, and he came around and said he sort of didn't understand why when new fil- where franchises are being rebooted all the time or remade or sequels, um, why the score needs to change. If the score was good enough for the originals, like it should be, the Batman score should be the Batman score, and it shouldn't matter who's in the suit or who's, make- or who's making the film. It should sort of. Mm-hmm be that theme, like that John Williams Superman theme, it doesn't matter who, if it's Henry Cavill or Brendan Ralph or 
Christopher Reeve, it should be that inspirational Batman, uh, Batman, Superman theme that John Williams done. So, mm-hmm. and I, I like the Hans Zimmer stuff he done for Man of Steel. I've got that soundtrack as well, and there's a few tracks in there that I quite like. But um, it's it's just one of those another one of those things. Like if you're gonna, and we've seen the Jurassic Park franchise. Every Jurassic Park film has that Jurassic Park theme in it. Why not mm-hmm. have it in there if it's a Jurassic film? It's, you need that um, sort of pull back to when you first heard it, but Again, like we were talking before of The Lost World, you sort of want that... You want it to fit the film as well. You don't just want Jurassic Park 3 where whenever there's a triumphant moment or something happens, they just blurt out the main four notes of the chorus or that main theme. So, yeah, and just even some of the stuff Williams done on Star Wars was great as well, and that sort of gets us to The Force Awakens when it came out. Being the first film I sort of took my son to see, much like Jurassic World... Um, That'll be his favourite in the franchise, I can imagine, because he's seen in in uh, in theatres and he's sort of got it on his iPad now that he watches, although he still listens to the Jurassic Park free score every night before he goes to bed, which <laughs> makes me angry. But, um, <laughs> yeah, when The Force Awakens come out, um, sort of, what what do you think there? There's a lot of um, controversy, criticisms that it sort of played a bit safe with JJ coming in and just sort of doing his own version of the um, New Hope, which I can see, but there's enough variations in there that I'm not really hung up on. Um, yeah, I'd say I have to say it's the same thing with me. I saw it opening night, and unfortunately the big spoiler was was ruined for me ahead of the movie. Still didn't, but unfortunately, but fortunately it still didn't kind of ruin the impact of actually seeing Han Solo die on screen. I mean, I cried in the theater. I, I won't deny that. I, I wept man tears all the way home. <laughs> uh, the but uh, yeah, but that's sort of like we'll get to in the Last Jedi in a minute. But sort of when he and Leia come together and she's like, "You gotta go get Ben." He sort of looks her and realizes that <laughs> this isn't gonna end well. Um, mm-hmm. But but then just again, like especially oh, okay, we got another Death Star. This time it's a planet. Um, I, I gave up on, um, oh, not scientific accuracy, but just common sense when um, mm-hmm. <laughs> when they all got off the Falcon in, I think it was Empire Strikes Back, when they were in the com- in the asteroid in that slug, ast- yeah. whatever it is, and they're sort of just walking around in space with breathing masks on. Like, and that's... Well, the thing about Star Wars is that people mistake it for science fiction, but it's very much fantasy. It's a fantasy set in... It's fantasy kind of classic Arthurian uh, legend set in space. And then look, if you examine this basic Star Wars plotline of a young man um, being given the sword by an old wizard and then sent off to fight, uh, to storm the castle to save the princess <laughs> and fight the Black Knight. I mean, that's that's classic King Arthur. Yeah. That is the King Arthur story. Yeah. And that's always been the biggest sort of separation between Star Trek and Star Wars. If you want the the meaning of life and the the hard science or <laughs> science, I won't say hard science, but um, <laughs> sort of that and um, humanity and where we are, where we're going, all that sort of stuff. You're a Star Trek fan. Whereas if you want sort of that fantasy aspect of space, there's a reason why it still says at the start a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Like it's just a mm-hmm. a story. Um, yeah, I mean that's the Opening of the that's the classic fairy tale opening a long time ago. Yeah. In a land far, far away. Exactly. You know? Yep. 
it's it might be like you always hear people shrug it off especially when a star wars film isn't that good they'll still shrug it off and say well they're made for kids anyway where yes but you can see with the pixar stuff like they can you can make a film for for kids but you can still sort of have the adult themes in it you can have adult characters um you can have the adult jokes in there if you need to and mm-hmm. you can sort of it can cater to all viewers um well, star- me, um, star wars was kind of like jurassic park but a little bit more kid friendly yep. jurassic park to me was always a much more um young young adult franchise it was for 13 and up mm. it was very much that and that that kind of gave it this kind of um specialness to it that i as a kid could enjoy something that was more mature yep. that as I grew up, I started. I could understand more and more themes, uh, and understand and understand more and more kind of morals that are laid out in the movie. And the same thing with with Star Wars. As a kid, you liked the lightsaber battles and the and the uh, spaceships. As an adult, you can understand the the morals and the symbolism and all that good stuff that comes with understanding the underlying themes of any movie. Mm. And for me, watching Star Wars was something that, I mean, I, it was, for, you could uh, enjoy it as a kid, but for me, Star Wars was always this teenage rebellion thing. Say so it was, came out in the 70s, right after, right after the kind of, um, kind of anti-authoritarian mindset was firmly set in place, and the whole don't trust anybody over 30 <laughs> kind of uh, thing. Yeah. And it was very much the idea, a coming of age story where this young teenager learns to become an adult. And that's what Star Wars was. Mm-hmm. And, of course, using a lot of sort of... a lot of themes from beforehand to sort of influence... Um, like the TIE Fighters, the dogfighting, aerial dogfights and that sort of stuff between the TIE Fighters and mm-hmm. the X-Wings and um, a lot of the... Um, like the samurai films, um, mm-hmm. which I think sort of definitely once we get to the prequels and you've got the Jedi there in full power doing mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff, but... Yeah, like I didn't, I didn't mind the Force Awakens. Um, again, I suppose not being that big a fan of the franchise, I think it was just it was all right. Um, never blew me over, or anything like that. But um, for me, it was a very much integral part of my childhood. Yeah. I mean, for me, my first Jedi costume was a bathrobe and a Darth Maul lightsaber. <laughs> <laughs> Well, to me, to add insult to injury, it was a Tweety Bird bathrobe. <laughs> <laughs> so it was white with red trimming and a Tweety, and tweety Bird uh, emblazoned on the chest. Yeah, yep. Yeah, and so that's sort of going into sort of The Force Awakens too, like some of the issues I had with The Last Year, uh, The Force Awakens was um, sort of JJ's mystery box sort of way of doing things um and it's sort of dotted through both that and the last jedi that um stuff doesn't matter um and i I just think and the same thing sort of happened with jurassic going from into jurassic world having certain expectations of what you wanted to see where the story could be going and then having the film come out and realizing none of that's actually happening um Mm -hmm. same now going into fallen kingdom I, when we first started seeing set photos and stuff like that, you start putting your own headcanon together of where you want things to go, and when that doesn't go that way, you get people complaining because Snoke's dead. 
And, yeah. Um, when and you can sort of like I will use the defense. Well, you never knew anything about the Emperor even by the end of Jedi. You never knew. No, People were spoiled very much by prequels and the fact that explained so much in that it's sometimes even over-explained. Yeah. Well, I mean, I never thought that, but a lot of people did, like midi-chlorines. People didn't want to know where the Force came from. They left that mystery. Hmm. But people forget that how very little we knew about the start of the Empire, the Emperor himself, about Anakin Skywalker, about the Force, about the Rebellion about all of it. it. The original Star Wars trilogy was very bare-bones and stripped of a lot of that kind of um, prequel stuff that was that defined the prequels. Just so Lucas could tell a simpler, more kind of straightforward story and not have to depend so much on practical, I mean, special effects, which were a key part of the original uh, scripts. Hmm. And that's where I have to laugh. Like Darth Vader himself turns up on more greatest villain lists ever. Where across the three films, you don't really learn a lot about him. Like he's he's powerful with the Force. That's his main fit. Like your main fear of him. He's, mm-hmm. a, he's a good pilot, and he's got a um, a good command of the Force. Mm-hmm. Where you've got this young boy trying to master the Force as well, and going up against him at least once and losing his hand over it and not really doing too well, but um, in the end being able to, again, just tr- not not through ability, but through just trying to plead with who he learns is his father and trying to turn him back to the good side and not not outright killing him in a death match because he's become the better better person or better user of the Force. So, And then like even now, com- comparing Kylo Ren, even though he's trying to be Darth Vader... Um, mm-hmm. Just people complaining about him being Disney's next princess and <laughs> all this, all this other stuff that's coming out. And I suppose we can go into the um, the Last Jedi a bit now. Like, I don't. Once I once I got out of that cinema, when the credits come up, I was just sitting there and like, God damn you, fanboys! Just what 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 was wrong with it? <laughs> like, I can see and I've heard a lot of the comments about stuff mm-hmm. that was wrong. There was some stuff in it that I wasn't a big fan of, L- runtime and all that. Certainly, definitely one thing, and that whole middle section um, at the casino. Then, yeah, it sort of took up some time, and they, yeah. But it, one thing, once criticism seems to be a lot of, oh, what reminded people too much of the prequels. Now, it's a very large galaxy that these films set in. Does that, does it all have to be dank and ruined and um, broken and? Can we not have any new... Does any new structures or new planets that are sort of successful and thriving, is that always going to remind people of the prequels just because they were so shiny and the Republic, Republic at its height of its powers or height of its strength? Mm-hmm. Now, for me, Kylo Ren was... He's this character... I think he's a great character because he has this great turmoil inside of him. On one side, he has the legacy of the Sith. He's got Darth Vader, the greatest Sith, the greatest, most powerful Sith Lord who's ever lived. And on the other side, he's got the he's the son of two great resistance or uh, rebellion generals, the nephew of Luke Skywalker, one of the greatest Jedi who's ever lived. Mm. And so this is clashed inside of him, 
and a person who's afraid of failure. He's afraid that he'll never live up to the image on either side of his family, on either side of the choices he has. He's afraid that he'll never be this great leader, that he'll never be as great as Luke Skywalker, that he'll never be as great as Darth Vader. He has this fear of failure that is very evocative of a lot of people who should be able to kind of relate to this character in a way. Yeah. I mean, who here isn't afraid of failure, you know? And even just having having it sort of... Now, whether... Whichever sort of path you or vision you sort of go off, just seeing that he, he was really created from Luke Skywalker because Luke's seen too much power in him or seen him going towards the dark side and whether he was going to end it or whether he decided not to and it was just a, um unfortunate turn of events that happened afterwards. Um, it was just one of them things. Like, it was good to see how he turned and it wasn't, it wasn't um, because a loved one was dying or anything like that that we got in the prequels, but... Yeah, to also be part of the um, idea of everything shiny or having, versus having a used feel. The thing to remember is that a lot of the places that we see in the original trilogy were actually kind of... Um, I mean, they weren't the they weren't the core of the yeah. galaxy. Like, they weren't Coruscant. They weren't yeah. Naboo. They weren't these places of high society. They were a mining colony or an abandoned... Uh, smuggler base on some out remote uh, ice planet. Hmm. They were some uh, desert planet on the ass end of space. They, it was all these places that you don't go to for high society. You yeah. Know? Yep. And that's and it. so that's yeah. And so of course everything in the prequels would have a used look because it's a ragtag um, kind of. I mean, some people, I mean, I guess you could make the argument that they're a terrorist group fighting a stable government. Hmm. Well, that's it. The prequels, the main focus of the prequels is the downfall of the Republic, and that's the inner, the inner core planet, so, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're going to see a lot, like, I don't know, I don't know if we ever will, but if, if there's ever any return to Coruscant, then, of course, it's people going to make, it's going to make people think of the prequels, because that's where we were there. Um, a lot of fans have sort of shut out that final scene that was added for the special features in Jedi where we do the trip around to different planets and everyone's celebrating the end of the Empire. Which, now, since The Force Awakens has come out, that's a bit of a premature celebration there. But, um, yeah, I just... It's just large... And, and people have always said, like, it's such a big universe, there's lots of stories to tell. Well... Yeah, okay, that's that's true up until the point where you want to tell stories about anything in the core systems and that, and then you're just going to complain because it's too much like the prequels. Like, <laughs> fans get over it. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, like all the stuff on with between Luke and Ray, um, I can't remember the name of the planets now. On the island there, like the Jedi Temple and that, I, I love that sort of stuff. Maybe not the milk scene, but <laughs> again, just playing up to the kids, I'll, I'll, I'll chalk that up to. But um, liked all that. The the main plot being the Empire, oh, the First Order, just chasing the rebels and not and always being out of range. Like, okay, 
just jump ahead a few light years or something. I don't know. There seems to. I don't know how a big ship like that with massive engines can't fly faster than a little, the little ships. But anyway, that's the high hill debate all over again. That's how it went. Um, and like going into it, like everyone's saying, Ryan Johnson, this Ryan Johnson. I thought he had a few movies under his belt, and um, was a like a, a well. Oh, well, he's a well-known director, but if someone had been in the business a long time, when I found he'd only done like three or four films, and but and most of those were indies or he'd done Looper, which okay, I've seen. I'm not going to rant and rave about it, but um, and to come in like it's just another like JJ, it's another fan coming in who grew up with the original trilogy, who's coming in having the opportunity to tell their own story. Now, how much how much input Disney and Kathleen Kennedy had on the the whole thing is a different story. But um, they obviously loved it enough. That's why he's getting his own trilogy to do after this one. But even sort of looking at the box office, and we skipped over Rogue One. I was, Rogue One's still my favourite of these last three films. Like, not so much because it's set in the time of the original trilogies. It looks good. I love all the stuff with Kronik and what's going on there with the building of the Death Star and sort of his um, struggling to stay in control of the project. And even after reading the. Uh, I can't remember the name of it, but the the story that come out as a prequel novel to it, um, sort of learning a bit more about Krennic's backstory between him and um, Orson and that, all that. So I really enjoyed the film. Now, yes, it had its like Solo. We're going to talk about in a minute. It had its sort of issues in production, and then some stuff was filmed and never turned ended up in the final release. But I, st- I still really liked that film, and I had no no real problems with it. I think the Rogue One is probably one of my top Star Wars movies, period. If only because you can very much tell that um, Gareth Edwards did his research on that. Mm. And the only reason that they had to change it was because it was almost a little too Saving Private Ryan, according to Gareth Edwards. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, it's, I mean, you got to remember, kids will go to watch this movie, and you don't want to traumatize kids for life, you know? Mm. With a Star Wars movie, at least of all. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, everything is very well done. It's got some great callbacks. And, of course, even some call forwards. The In Rogue One, um, when they're going through the Imperial database, mm. they mention hyperspace tracking, which, of course, we then see later in The Last Jedi. Yeah, there's been a few things sort of dotted between the films and Rogue One that sort of come out in The Last Jedi and it's just sort of interesting now that we've got all this under the Disney banner and or even Lucasfilm but um, they're sort of looking further ahead and planting these little easter eggs in films now for future films um, mm-hmm. just again building the story, building the universe so um, and it's it's one of those things like there's a Forbes article here on Google from two days ago um about new Star Wars films, how they could struggle without Luke Han and Leia. Well, okay, Leia was at the end, but um, and still, most fans will say the best thing about Rogue One was the Darth Vader scene at the end too. But um, box office-wise, like it still made over a billion dollars. It just got over the billion dollar mark, and if that's like it had, a, um, oh no, that was well, even Last Jedi, sort of with all the hate and dislike of it going around like it still made 1.3 billion worldwide US dollars as long as they keep on topping the billion dollar mark then 
they're going to keep on make, making it. And that's sort of going now into solo with the trailers we come out. And I think the biggest biggest hiccup here, or biggest thing here for fans to get over, is the change in character, like the character actor change. Um, mm-hmm. If if you cannot if you cannot see um, or cannot accept another actor in the place of Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford. <laughs> yeah, then then you never you're never going to be able to get over it. I don't know. I mean, I had trouble not just with this, not with just with the replacing Ford part, because I mean, Harrison Ford will always be Han Solo to me. Mm. That will never change. And, but the guy that they picked just has no charisma. And I mean, okay, maybe the good the movie might be good. Okay. Maybe it might make a lot of money. Okay, maybe fans might like it. But Alden Ehrenreich just has no charisma for me. He's not charismatic like Ford. He has no he doesn't sound like Harrison Ford. He doesn't look like Harrison Ford. They could have picked they could have they should have picked uh, anybody else other than him. Yeah, but that's Harrison Ford's charisma back then like even in the early end like Raiders of the Lost Ark as well like if he could bottle that and sell it um, there, there was no one oh, I still don't think there's anyone like him from that sort of time he sort of he didn't really have that coming into Force Awakens either I suppose but um, it's just yeah, or even just so they could have just got a straight up lookalike too and them being a bad actor like there was a couple of people that fans were throwing out there that looked a lot like a young Han Solo and that's or young Harrison Ford and I think also too because I think this is supposed to be set seven years before New Hope Mm -hmm. um, where a lot of people complaining well the Falcon looks brand new and he's only supposed to be seven years before New Hope so why not just de-age do a de-aged Harrison Ford now (laughs) let's not get into the de-aged layer and Grandma Tarkin from Rogue One. <laughs> um, some fans liked it, some fans didn't. If they'd done a full CG, like it's there for parts, I don't think they'd do a full character in de-aged for a yeah. full film. Um, they did do it for uh, for to um, Ian McKellen and as Gandalf in the Hobbit movies. Mm. They did take some of the age spots off of him digitally and clean up some of the creases around the eyes to make him look a bit younger than he than a couple years younger since it is a prequel to the lord of the rings yeah yeah but then the other thing is too like even okay you're going to de-age harrison ford well you're obviously going to get him to sort of play it then you're not going to get someone else to come in and voice the character mm-hmm. yeah and, and fans know like he he sort of hasn't been that swagger since <laughs> since um, the Last Crusade, like he, especially during the nineties, he sort of started getting that gruff and um, yeah, he did. Especially when you get to Cowboys and Aliens, he's sort of just a grumpy old man now. That's that, <laughs> he's made his money. That's perfectly fine. He can do what he wants to do. But um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's just trying to get back in that in that seat. Like the only it's widely known the only reason he come back for the Force Awakens was so he can die, and that's what fans put two and two together before they even seen the film that that was most likely going to be a possibility that he wasn't going to survive the film, but... He's gotten... His voice has deepened very much, and it's much more gravelly and deeper than it was even back in 1989 when he did... when The Last Crusade came out. And back then, and even back then, you could notice it. You can mm. notice, like, when 
he's doing the scene in Nazi Germany in Berlin, and he comes across Elsa, and he's like, all I have to do is squeeze. <laughs> and, I mean, you can just note here the older Ford in his voice. Yeah. Yep. And that's that's a bit one of the funny things too. Like, like Peter Mayhew hasn't been Chewbacca since I think Revenge of the Sith. They got a new guy for Revenge of the Sith. I don't remember who. It was some throwaway actor. Okay. But so I'm, it, I remember he that... returned for Force Awakens, and he was he did most of the sit down work. Yeah, because and they got a guy for um, they got a new guy of similar height and build to do the act more action stuff. Yeah, and he was on set sort of coaching along the way as well. So yeah. Um, but it's one of those things, and it's sort of like here now seeing Chewie in the Solo trailer, like, that's not going to be Peter Mayhew. It's probably not even going to be the same guy that done The Last Jedi or The Force Awakens. <laughs> no, I think I think he's still the same guy. Okay. That's yep. what I heard. Yeah. But I suppose at least the, um, the, um, the suit, the Wookiee, or the Chewbacca suit sort of still... I think that was, that was one sort of laugh more than criticism of The Force Awakens, like, in the teaser when Han and Chewie come on the Falcon to say that they're home, Han's old and so an old man, and Chewie hasn't had a grey hair over the last thirty years. Yeah, well, do live immensely long lives, so it's kind of like expecting Yoda to change uh, how he looks between um, Re- Return of the or Revenge of the Sith and Empire Strikes Back. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, in a way, he still looks the same. Yep. He still has. He's still bald. He's still bald, green, and wrinkled. Mm. Yeah. So. Yeah, and it's sort of even like the um, seeing like the shots in that same corridor of the Falcon, like brand spanking new. Like, yes, the film might be set seven years before, A New Hope, but I'm guessing it's going to be, it's going to jump time a little bit. It'll be like Rogue One, where we probably start off in the in the start where Lando might have the Falcon and lose it, and then we pick up later mm-hmm. on. Where Lando and Solo meet, or something like that. Um, well, Lando is already at this point in time an established smuggler. Yeah. He is in the uh, Rebels, Star Wars Rebels TV series, as an established smuggler, voiced by, of course, Billy D. Williams. Mm. But yeah, I mean, he's already established as a criminal at this point, so it makes sense for his version of the Falcon to have some kind of like blaster spots and yeah. stuff like that on there. Yeah. And I just I just love like all the um all the, well, not the hate but all the uh comments at the moment about the young actor playing Han Solo. There's none towards Donald Donald Glover. Mr. Glover. Yeah, I um I keep on thinking Danny Glover but I I don't know if they're related or not but um like there's nothing towards him. Oh yeah yeah, yeah like his 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 um Lando, his Lando like well, he looks nothing like him, and okay, maybe if he gets a bit of... I think what gives him a pass is that he channels Billy D. Williams' swagger. But he's Billy an established... Out. A very charismatic person. Yeah. And he just come, he just exudes this kind of personality of a slickster. Yeah. And I think Danny Glover uh, shows that very well. I mean, the show, shot we get him from in... The trailer wearing that big giant furry coat. Yeah. Just he kind of, he kind of looks like a pimp. He looks yeah. like he's got that <laughs> smug kind of swagger, you know. Yeah. It's, it's, again, it's like 
before talking about my dislike for what's come up with Fallen Kingdom, but not waiting for it to come out. And now I'm going to say with Solo, just <laughs> wait until it comes out. Like it's Ryan Howard. Like yes, there's a lot of stuff wrong in production. He's he's come in, he's rewritten, he's reshot eighty percent of the film or something. Um, mm-hmm. It's Ron Howard. Back after the um, the Phantom Menace come out, or even when Phantom Menace was coming out, and Lucas was saying he was going to do that, and then hand the other two off to other directors. Like the fantasy fan list of directors to do a Star Wars film was Spielberg, Ron Howard. Um, that I remember, and there might have been a couple others as well. Like fans have wanted Ron Howard to do a Star Wars film since the prequels, and now mm-hmm. and now he's come on. It's like oh, well, he's just come on to clean up the brothers mess that got the boot but mm-hmm. i'm just he's he's been involved in enough of the production he's he's shot enough of it um he might not have been there when the casting was done but um i think yeah just just give it time and see how it goes yeah that's true i mean ron howard i do trust as a director yeah and plus i mean he's he's been friends with both george lucas and harrison ford since um since American Graffiti. Mm. So if there's anybody I trust to make a Han Solo film, it's Ron Howard. Yeah. Well, I... I, love all, I love all his movies. I've seen most of his movies. And he's just a great director. Mm. It's just, I'm not sure... I mean, I'm kind of very conflicted on this movie because, A, I don't like most of the casting at all, I but Ron Howard. I yeah. mean, I love Ron Howard. How can I mean Ron Howard? I don't think I've ever seen make a bad movie. Yeah, yeah. There's some articles here. Screen Rant have done of what happens to Star Wars if Solo flops. I don't. I, people are still going to see it. It's it's a Star Wars film. There's a there's a unique um, perspective in the world where it doesn't matter what a Star Wars film still gets a pass. There's a lot of fans that had issues with the Force Awakens, but it still gets a pass because it's a Star Wars film. I've heard a lot of reviews for The Last Jedi, which had some problems as well, but it got a pass because it's a Star Wars film. There's one interesting thing with the Star Wars films is no one movie is sort of, okay, if you're a fan, you're going to say one or the other is going to be A+, but just sort of sitting back here from not so much a fan perspective, they're all not. They're all good films. They all have their issues. Most of them, or every single film, has a really good part that you just want to do a fan edit and have that part and just have one story with <laughs> all these different set pieces in. So I'm sure it's, this is going to have some good stuff. We're gonna we're gonna see some stuff. We're gonna see the castle run. That there's there's no reason they're not gonna do any of that for a prequel for Han Solo. Yeah. And of all the characters that, from the original trilogy of the three, Han Solo is probably the one we know least about. If if you've gone and done the expanded universe and stuff, which isn't canon anymore, you sort of know a bit more about him. But just going off the films, apart from him being a low-down smuggler, there's not a lot about him you know. Family, any of that stuff. So, And even his sort of relationship with Lando, you don't learn until halfway mm. through the second one. So, um, mm. When Disney took over or brought Lucasfilm, when they were sitting there writing down their stories, um, I think Solo would have been at the top of that list, like to do a Han Solo origin film more so than Rogue One, but they would have thought, okay, well, Rogue One might be a better sell. Um, and it's in the title. It's the Rogue One. It's the one that's not the um, the trilogy storytelling. It's something off to the side. So I don't... I, I don't. The Star Wars franchise won't die if this doesn't do well. Like, 
It'll still, I reckon it'll still get 800, 900 million easy. Yeah, it will. But I'm just considering, like, the pushback because, I mean, this movie has only just begun its marketing uh, starting Super Bowl, which was February 4th. In perspective of that, The Last Jedi got nine months of, um, its first, it, it got nine months of marketing. Its first trailer appeared in April. And then the movie wasn't released until December. Well, and that's the thing, because it, it not being a December release, having it brought forward to May, which mm-hmm. <laughs> the same same couple of weeks there with uh, Infinity War, and there's another Disney property coming out then as well. But yeah, just having like these big free films in the same month, like it's it's almost guaranteeing it not to make as much money as it could. But even the marketing, yes, they waited until Super Bowl because oh, they could have put a trailer up with the um, the Last Jedi. They couldn't. You couldn't yeah, advertise it. Yeah, they couldn't Absolutely. do it beforehand because they're sort of marketing the Last Jedi, and not that. But have a trailer yeah. with that. Like people are in the in the seat seeing the Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. Well, now we can. Um, I think they did like their first teaser should have been back in thing on Thanksgiving of last year. Um, mm. That's and that's just the teaser. Then trailer with the Last Jedi, and then second trailer at Super Bowl. Yeah. Yep. Like how um, Jurassic World did it, because, I mean, frankly, four four months to market a movie is not long at all, and it does not it does not say that Dis- it says that Disney might not have very much confidence in this movie. They're hoping, kind of hoping it just gets swept under the rug in a way, but of course it's Star Wars. It's not going to get swept under the rug because it's that it has that name. And yeah. so, in a way, you got to wonder, how will this shake up Lucasfilm if it doesn't do well? Will Kathleen Kennedy get the boot? Will the story group get a, uh, get um, re-met, get rearranged? I mean, what's going to happen? Well, that's it. Where's the blame going to shift to in the end, whether it's to the, to the pair that were fired from directing because they sort of they left too late and Brian Howard couldn't do enough to finish it or whatever happens there sort of happens. We'll just have to see. Like, I've, I've, I've still got faith in Ron Howard that he can do, pull something together here. And it's sort of, it, it, it was, you can sort of look at, look deeper into it and find things that um, might not be there. Like, when, when Colin Trevorrow was fired from episode 9 and JJ was brought in, that... Like, from one side of the thing, that sort of looked like, okay, well, they haven't got faith in The Last Jedi. They need J.J. to come back in and finish out the trilogy and pull it back from the disappointment they've seen in it. Now, they never admitted that, and there was nothing in marketing that it's all, yes, it's a great film, thanks, Ryan Johnson and everything else. So, I still think that Disney likes Ryan, Ryan Johnson just because they gave, after The Last Jedi, they gave him his own trilogy to work with. Yeah. So I think it was more or less a... Uh, disappointment with Ryan Johnson's performance, and more a disappointment in um, in Trevorrow. Hmm. Yep. Yeah, and whether whatever whatever the reasons for Trevorrow not staying around, and that that's that's between them. There's there's no point us discussing that because we weren't there. I don't think the book of Henry probably had as much to do with it as people think. But anyway. Um, mm. I don't think it did. I think what it had to do with it is, and what I read was that Trevorrow was getting kind of demanding, that he was wanted to go places that the story group didn't want to 
take, uh, uh, let him take, and that he was just kind of, he wanted to do his own thing, and that even, and and he had Spielberg protecting him, kind of taking him under his wing at Universal. Yeah. He didn't have that connection at Lucasfilm. Yeah. Yeah. Which is odd, because that's pretty much what Ryan Johnson done with (laughs) The Last Jedi as well, sort of done his own thing, like Mark Hamill had come out early on and sort of said he didn't like where the story of Luke was going at all but um, soon sort of stopped that to start promoting the film again but yeah we haven't got long we've got a couple of months but it's also too like okay after what Ryan Johnson done with The Last Jedi we're going to do a new trilogy that's set aside from the here and now I think it's going to be set further in the future or something which good that's it put it 30 years in the future again and do a new trilogy there the Falcon bed not be in it. <laughs> that thing just needs to fall apart or blow up. Like <laughs> I like the Falcon. It's I know. Right it shouldn't have left Jakku. Like it was. It's been there. It hadn't <laughs> flown in years, and just all of a sudden, it's in a dogfight. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it barely but, left Jakku. But I mean, it's like that beloved old freighter in a way that. I mean, yes, we all know it's going to fall apart someday. Yeah. But it's like one of those like your favorite car you got held held together with duct tape at this point. Well, you that's don't want it. to sell it because it's your favorite car, yeah. but you just know this thing is not going to take it on not going to make it on a road trip. Yeah, there's only so many times you can bodgy stuff up and repair stuff <laughs> because <laughs> you, even now you you go back and try and find parts for a 60-year-old car like it's the only I'm going to stuff the name up, but the only Carillion freighter we've seen in the franchise we haven't seen <laughs> like They've got to be finding spare parts for it from somewhere to keep it going for 60 years <laughs> at this point. <laughs> like, and, and that might be... It really is held together with duct tape. <laughs> yeah, and that might be that might be a bad thing to sort of guess in that 60-year gap, only because it appeared in an Easter egg in Attack of the Clones, or one of the prequels that sort of come into that dock on Coruscant, so... Said, um, it was Re- Return of the... Or no, Revenge of the Sith. I was... Okay. I was kidding. Because at the one point, Return of the Jedi was called Revenge of the Jedi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of revenge Change. returns. Yeah, there's a lot. Of, <laughs> there's a lot of that in this franchise. So yeah, it 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 might not be as old. Like Solo's gonna show us when it was first built and whether that how close to Revenge of the Sith is. That that's gonna be another thing. So you can put up its appearance in Revenge of the Sith as just an Easter egg, and that was a different one. <laughs> so, but um. I think that, uh, that pretty much folds there. Any, anything else you want to bring up? Um, yeah, I think we're good. Yeah. I think, like a lot of people saying, I think I like the look of what Solo's doing. Um, the tone feels there, feels right. I can't, the tone feels like a real run to me, which is a good sign. Yeah, yep. Yep. I suppose it's just like <laughs> it's just like Kingdom of the Crystal Skull when Shia LaBeouf picked up Indiana Jones's hat and everyone thought that he was going to be the next Indiana Jones and just completely lost their minds <laughs> whether or not that was the plan or not there's still word of an Indy 5 coming whatever that happens to that but there's More movies yeah there's movies like that where your favourite star is going to be replaced like yeah I mean how are, how will you do an Indiana Jones Ford's like what 75 at this point he's yeah just, I mean he's not he's not the whip swing whip cracker whippersnapper that he was well, that's it. They had to do a lot of stunt work in um, Crystal Skull just to get around the fact that he's not as mobile as he used <laughs> to be. 
So I don't know, he was old then. What are they gonna do now? And yeah. that was what? That was over ten years ago. And that's that's not if he doesn't um, take his own life in the meantime, and not not the way it sounds like. All the stuff between Force Awakens and that, even before Force Awakens, where he's landing, nearly landing on other planes in airports and crashing planes in the golf courses, and <laughs> all, <laughs> like he's, he's out there enjoying himself, and that's fine. But damn man, someone take that pilot license off him. <laughs> <laughs> My dad jokes about that all the time. Yeah. Yep. He's on his what fifth plane crash? <laughs> yeah. Yep. So. It's it's one of those it's one of those news stories I know I'm going to wake up to and I know it can't be too far away but there's a few few of those beloved actors from the childhood that's uh, getting up there I just hope they go natural causes not because of <laughs> uh, yeah. mistakes or accidents but anyway that's I mean, a dark you know it's, the day's coming you know it's coming but you don't want to think about it just because I mean Harrison Ford's my childhood man I yeah. don't want to think about that man dying yeah yeah. Yep. So. Except when we lost Robin Williams. I mean, yeah, that man yep. starred in so many of my favorite childhood movies. Yeah, and the circumstances as well. It's just. Yeah. It's really sad, really unfortunate that sort of all that stuff happened. So. Yeah, that's a dark place to leave it. <laughs> oh. So yes, thank you for listening. Those that did stay on for this, uh, the Star Wars section as well. Head over to thelostworldminute.com. All our contact details are there. You can check us out on social media under the Lost World Minute um, or email us at lostworldminute at gmail.com with feedback. Thanks, Dave. We'll be back uh, next week with uh, Minute 50... No, 50. Minute 85. Minute 4, 85, 86. Yep. 